Hello and welcome to the Olympic Channel podcast. I'm Ed Knowles. If what you like is the best bits from olympicchannel.com, then look no further. You're in the right place. We've got great interviews and a look into Korean culture too. We'll be taking you beyond the snow and ice of Pyeongchang 2018 and to the stories that matter. It's actually a bit quiet in Olympic Channel Towers here in Pyeongchang. Why? Well, because everyone is absolutely glued to either the men's figure skating competition, the curling or the women's super G. It's totally mesmerising. The level of skill that's on show at the moment is, well, incredible. And did you catch the women's snowball cross? Well worth catching up on if you missed it. Italian Michela Mioli won, but the person in second was just 16 years old. Imagine that. Julia Pereira of France will be taking the silver home with her. And I finally got my hands on some nuclear fire noodles to try. I'm not sure if I'm brave enough to give them a whirl now that I'm actually confronted with them. I'm a bit scared. We'll see. Anyway, what's going down on the podcast today? We caught up with Olympic gold medalist skier Frida Hansdotter of Sweden, who beat favourite Michaela Schifrin in the slalom. And are we losing the winter? USA big shot skiers Gus Kenworthy and Ted Ligeti talk about changing their training schedules because of climate change. Plus, how big is the big air? We asked course director Robbie Moresi about snowboarding's big new Olympic event. Strap in. But first, here are the top stories from OlympicChannel.com. Ski jumper Camel Stock wants to go even higher. For Michela Moyoli, the snowboard gold was well worth the wait. And from being a mascot to needing a cool down. Olympic Channel reporter Nicholas Vinder found out that being the mascot was, well, tougher than it looks. You can find all those stories at olympicchannel.com forward slash news or go into the application and just tap on the news tab. Olympic Channel volunteer Heiji Kim will be talking us through beauty expectations here in Korea. But now, before the women's slalom, all the talk was about Michaela Schifrin. But the US skier didn't even finish on the podium. The person who was on top has only won four World Cup slalom events across 14 seasons. She's second cousin to Swedish royalty. Olympic Channel reporter Alessandro Poggi went over to interview Frida Hansdotter and he started off by asking her how it felt to be an Olympic champion. It feels amazing. It's been a dream come true and uh, it's an amazing day. How unexpected is this goal for you? Uh, yeah, for sure. I knew Michaela. She's been skiing so fast uh, through the years. So for sure I um, thought that she was going to be the one to beat today. But after the first round I felt, oh, this is possible. And I just tried to go for it. After uh, several medals at the World Champs, uh, what does that represent this Olympic goal for you? Yeah, for sure, it means a lot. I mean, I've been working hard for this one and it feels amazing to, like, it's a dream come true. One last thought for Michaela. Uh, I mean, Michaela, she's a really talented girl and for sure she has uh, many Olympics ahead of her, so she will get a lot of gold medals, I think. What a surprise. Thanks to Frida and to Alessandro. Coming up, it's cold here in Pyeongchang, but are we losing it elsewhere? We ask US athletes Gus Kenworthy and Ted Ligeti. But now it's time to learn a bit more about South Korea. 
So in South Korea, everyone takes a lot of care about their physical appearance. But Olympic Channel volunteer Heiji Kim is here now, and you say that this isn't always a good thing. So why do you think people want to look good here? Um, I think it's because we have a high expectation on beauty, like appearance, and we tend to care a lot about how we look in the public, like. And so we have lots of like beauty YouTubers um, or just programs about makeup, cosmetics, and we have lots of cosmetic stores in the street. And um, people care about like fashion and how pe other people wear. And so I think because of this, people really want to look good to other people. And yeah. Mm -hmm. who, who would you like to most look? Who, who are your beauty standards? Who do you look up to? Um, there are a couple of, um, act actress that I think, uh, is, she's pretty, uh, Song Egyo or Jeon ji -hun. Okay. Yeah. They're really beautiful. So, okay. yeah. I'll have to keep an eye out. <laughs> and uh, there's a word for people who've taken it too far, perhaps. What, what is that? There's a special word in, in South Korean. Oh, yeah. Uh, we say 외모 지상주의, which means we have a lot of, like, focus. We only focus on the appearance and the beauty, and maybe that could be lookism in English. Yeah, but maybe yeah. not. I don't think it's quite lookism, but I think it's, uh -huh. like, shallow. Is it, you know, like, yeah. the, you only see that it only goes skin deep, basically. Uh, Beauty's yeah. on the inside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean... That was so unconvincing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, some people do take it a bit too far, though, right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe some people could, you know, do a nose job or get their plastic surgery done just to, you know, get the kind of look they want or to, um, to meet the expectation of a beauty standard here in Korea. Yeah, it seems like there's a, on, on yet another thing to uh -huh. be like the perfect person. You've got to be mm -hmm. clever, uh -huh. you've got to have a good job, and yeah. you've got to be beautiful like as well. Everything should be perfect, yeah. even your appearance. But really, it, that goes counter to what you would think about <laughs> mm -hmm. being from the inside. Uh -huh. And a lot of like uh, people coming from China or Japan or just any other country, they come to Korea to do plastic surgery because uh, we have very good, I don't know, like doctors and, yeah. and standards yeah, of health yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Thank you very much, Heiji. If you were unsure about who to keep an eye on in any event, why don't you take a look at our Stories to Watch series? It gives you the people you need to keep an eye out for, plus a great little overview of the event. Throw in Stories to Watch and Olympic Channel and the sport that you want into a search engine and it will come up. So, We've heard a lot about the cold here in Pyeongchang and it's been absolutely freezing for sure. But the University of Waterloo in the US says that only eight of the 21 cities that have hosted the Winter Olympic Games will be cold enough to reliably do so again by the end of the century. Don't believe it? Well, ask two-time gold medalist skier Ted Ligerty. Olympic Channel reporter Evette Michael started off by asking him how much things have changed since he's been on the scene. Yeah, skiing has been one of my big passions since I was a little kid. Um, I've been skiing my whole life. I grew up, you know, five minutes from a ski area, so skiing has been my life passion. And it's an outdoor sport, and we rely on cold weather, so climate change is definitely an issue we're very cognizant of. Um, I've definitely seen its implications over the course of my lifetime. And, you know, we go race in all these places all over the world, and some of them are on glaciers, and you can see how much they've changed over the last, you know, 10-plus years. And 
Um, we raced at a lot of places that are lower elevations that 10 years ago, they always were able to have races no problem. And nowadays they get canceled every other year because they don't have enough snow. Um, so it's definitely an issue we see. Um, you know, when we rely on cold weather to do our sport and it's outdoors, it's, uh, it's definitely something that's on the front of your mind. Could you give me a couple of examples, I don't need a lot, of some of these places where you've seen, um, where you've seen firsthand of what's happened, yeah. right? Uh, the first race of every year is in Solden, Austria, and it's on a glacier, and that glacier has changed tremendously over the last 11 years I've been racing there. Um, the, the shape of the glacier changes every single year, so f even three years ago, you didn't see any rocks on the side of the hill, and now... You know, there's big sections of the mountain that are starting to poke through the glacier, and they actually now put a glacier blanket over the race hill for the summertime, so it preserves the snow there. And then that area is probably raised 20 feet off of the rest of the glacier, and they just started doing that in the last year. So it's amazing to see the, the implications, especially when you're uh, traveling on those big glaciers. And for a novice who's watching this, who doesn't understand the term a glacier blanket, explain what that means and what it does. A glacier blanket's just like a big tarp of plastic that you put over the, the ice of the glacier, and it, it reflects the sun during the summertime, so when it's not getting snow on it um, and building up, it's, uh, it's helping prevent it melting. So as a professional athlete, how have you, how have, have you, have you had to accommodate your training and you know, um, the way you practice accordingly to sort of go hand in hand with some of these changes? that are happening and talk to us a little bit about that. As a skier, we're traveling the world trying to chase snow and we've definitely been affected on where we could train in our time frame and, and how long the seasons are in a lot of places. So we're traveling down to the Southern Hemisphere during the summertime to ski. Um, growing up, it was easy to find places in the US. Right now, there's only really one place you can ski in, um, in the summertime, whereas before there was a couple others that were that were possible. And um, yeah, as, as we're trying to chase the trace the snow around the world, you know, you see where, you know, the sh seasons get shorter and shorter. Freestyle skier Gus Kenworthy has also seen change on his training travels. Sosve in Switzerland, we had some guy telling us and showing us photos that just in the past few years, it, the glaciers receded hundreds of feet. And even being up there, you notice all these crevasses that are starting to be exposed and the snow's dirty in areas where it wasn't before just because the melt is happening so quickly. And, um, I don't know, I feel like a little bit hypocritical because I'm on planes all the time flying to events and everything, but I think that any opportunity you have to cut back on the resources that you're using is beneficial. Thanks to Ted Ligerty and to Gus Kenworthy and of course to Yvette as well. So Snowboard's big new Olympic event is the Big Air. It's one big moment where the slopestyle snowboarders launch themselves off one massive ramp. At Pyeongchang 2018, that ramp is up by the ski jump, and you've really got to see it. It looks amazing. Robbie Moresi works for FIS, the Ski and Snowboard Federation. He travels the world setting up events like this all the time. So I started off by asking him just how big the ramp really is. The bigger ramp is, the, is uh, I'd say, for an in-city big air, one of the biggest sizes. And uh, it's uh, a happy medium between an uh, on-hill venue, as we're like using the stadium and, and the grandstands of the stadium, and a city event with the scaffolding portion like built on the top. So I would say it's not one of the biggest jumps you can find around the world, like jump size, but for a big air size and city venue size, it's, uh, it's a decent size. Everybody's really stoked. 
and and of course we have to put in that uh, that site so I can manage the different weather conditions as well. So it's working well. I mean, you're quite matter of fact about this being like, oh, it's not one of the biggest things, no, but like, let's be serious. <laughs> How big is it? You know, like it is, well, ma- it's, it's, it's massive, right? It is 44 meters high. If you consider from the bottom to the far top end of the ramp, they are flying in the air 25 to 30 meters. So it is, it is big. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we see it every day. So it's like normal, but definitely if you look at it live for the first time, it's going to be impressive. And you are in charge of the slope style, so you're well positioned to kind of give us a bit of difference between the, the two different ramps. Like, what's the difference between a big air ramp and a slope style ramp? Well, a slope style course, let's call it a course, is a, is a, a course with multiple features, which is a combination of rails, jib features, jumps, uh, hips, quarters, whatever the creativeness of, uh, of the builder comes up to. Instead of bigger, it is one jump. I won't say just, it's one jump where the skills of the of the athletes and the riders are still pushed and uh, and uh, required to perform. So it's uh, two different environments, but still the same, the same game. And so, how long does it take to set up? What are the sort of people that you're coordinating? What's the team look like? We uh, we have a team of international builders here who have overseen both the Solstal and the bigger venue, and uh, working in close uh, connection with the local and, uh, and NTOs. And uh, as a team, they've prepared from the scaffolding design and building up process to the final layer of snow and making sure it's fine-tuned and uh, prepped to perfection. So it's, it's, it's a lot of work put together. And uh, when you see it done, you don't actually think how much work is behind it. That's right, because you just sort of take it for granted that that thing exists. And it's right by the ski jump as well. Skiers and snowboarders don't always see eye to eye all the time. Has there been a bit of friendly rivalry up there with the ski jumpers? At the moment, not so far, but with my good friend Walter, who's the, the race director for ski jumping and last of the Nordic Combined. We had that idea of wanting to have a ski jumper and a snowboarder so like land and just go and high-five each other in the finish <laughs> area, but with all the logistics around it, it's not as, far, as easy. But we're all friends. Uh, we're all, all here to compete and do the best and at the end they're kids, they're just having fun and in different ways but having fun. And that's it just before we go, thanks for everyone who has been subscribing. You'll be able to check out us teasing everything on Instagram stories so make sure you're sharing those things on Instagram stories with people if you think they might be interested. Send them the Instagram story. It might be a way of making sure that they decide to actually come and subscribe. Make sure you're telling everyone about us. Insta, Facebook, Twitter, just give us a shout out on there. That's unbelievably helpful. So I'm already excited about the next episode. It's going to be a really good one. But for now, it's goodbye and until next time.